With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Greetings. So Liz is like, I think you're getting your beauty call. Podcasting after dark. Oh, yeah. Yes, I have my bathrobe and my uh, pipe ready. On one side, the UCLA Bruins, a team with a mission to prove to the nation it does indeed belong in this 70th Rose Bowl, despite a mediocre 6-4-1 record. And they couldn't have asked for a better opponent with which to make their point, the fourth-ranked and favored fighting Illini. Meanwhile, Illinois carries with it the hopes of an entire conference conference that's usually wound up on the bottom of the bowl the past decade. The Illini are a Pac-10 style club with a West Coast coach, but if Illinois loses this Rose Bowl, it'll be another stinging setback for the Big Ten. And that's pressure. I think Big Ten teams have been coming out here a little bit too tight. You know, the pressure's been on to win. The pressure's been on the Big Ten to win some games out here. The, the record, I, I'm not sure exactly what the record is, but it's not real good. And all this pressure seemed to get to Mike White today. White, who is inconsistent to say the least when it comes to dealing with the media anyway, found around with his squad during the Illini picture-taking session, then suddenly decided he didn't want us to show his team having any more fun. Just another pre-game distraction. And the distractions have been many ever since the Illini arrived here two weeks ago. How can a young college football player not forget about football for a while after constantly being wine, dined, toasted, talked to and about by the national news media and the Playmate of the Month? For the Illini players, their families, friends, and fans, this truly has been a vacation of a lifetime. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to get weird. That's right. It's the Hammer and Rails After Dark version our sports podcast with the let's get weird podcast and tonight we're gonna get nasty and sexy that's right we're gonna be talking about 
one of the strangest stories in college football that may or may not be true, and that is one thing that we have to put as a caveat before we really get into this, is that it is an urban legend, and it's never been confirmed, nor has it been really been denied, and it is relevant this week as Purdue is playing the Illinois Fighting Illini. We are going to be talking about the mysterious did-it-happen-did-it-not-happen visit of the 1983 Big Ten champion Illinois Fighting Illini football team visiting the Playboy Mansion before losing the Rose Bowl, uh, the 1984 Rose Bowl, that is. So with us on the line tonight, we have, as usual, Illinois alumnus, Paul Banks. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing great. I'm really excited about this one. Let's let's go back with a little bit of background here. The 1983 Illinois Fighting Illini, damn good football team from looking at their schedule here. They are, to date, the only team in uh, Big Ten history to go 9-0 and in regular season conference play, which is, is pretty astounding when you think about it because we've had some really good teams. We haven't had the nine-game conference season for quite some time, but uh, this, uh, in fact, I believe 1984 was the last year that they had the nine-game conference season before recent times when they upped it with Maryland and Rutgers, but that was one of the Big Ten's better teams uh in the post uh 10-year war between michigan and ohio state wasn't it absolutely because it has a special place in history that will never be touched it they will go the only big 10 team to beat every other team in the conference in the same year unless someday down the line we have a 13 game regular season and ohio state beats everybody or something Uh, yeah i I had i just did realize that i guess that would be in the time when it was just well, 10 teams in the conference. It's It's been so long since that's happened because uh, I know Penn State came in in the early 90s. They'd make it 11. And then, of course, we've got Nebraska, Maryland, and Rutgers since then. But it, it's hard to imagine the Big Ten at only 10 teams these days. Right. And it, it's really – do you think about how what a different era that was and how the national championship was decided? Because – Illinois came into that game ranked number four in the nation, and the three teams ahead of them, here it is, week 14, December 5th, 1983, Nebraska was one, they had 51 first place votes, Texas was two, they had three first place votes, Auburn was three, they were 10 and one, Auburn won, Nebraska and Texas both lost, and then the team that actually won the national title and finished first in that final poll was the team ranked below Illinois at number five. And that would be Mrs. T mills, beloved Miami hurricanes, which I believe was their first national title. Uh, that was the one where Nebraska went for two in the win in the orange bowl. When they knew that a tie and an extra point would have been enough. They go for two. They do not get it. Miami beats them and takes the national title and thus, the U was really born in that moment. Revolutionary time for college football. Just changed the game in terms of recruiting, changed the whole scope. The idea that Illinois had a chance at a national title here and blew it is kind of BS because Auburn was ahead of them in the polls and Auburn won. And since Illinois was taking on a UCLA team that was 6-4-1, they couldn't have really gotten a lot of votes. They couldn't have made much sway with with the pollsters by winning that game big because they were matched up against such a mediocre team but it looks like uh 
I'm trying to see who Auburn even played in that year's bowl games or anything, but you know, it looks like they did win their bowl game. And then you also had a pretty solid Georgia team in there. It finished 10, one and one. Obviously you mentioned Miami. You don't know what would have happened with Miami have leapfrogged them because they beat a Nebraska team. That was almost the unanimous number one team going in for much of the season too. Right. And it looks like Purdue and Illinois met in midseason, much like this year. They met on October 22nd, and Purdue was number 11, and Illinois went into Ross 8 and went 35-21. to 21. Wow. And that's uh, that's hard to believe that Purdue was ranked that year, too. It looks like Purdue went on to finish 3-7-1. And, one. and uh, let's also not forget, in, Illinois recovered from their only loss very early in the season. They lost a rivalry game to... Missouri 28-18 to start the year and then just kind of ran through the Big Ten. Yeah, that was an amazing team. And when I reached out to do this story, Taylor Rooks, the former BTN reporter now with, I think, CBS Sports. Um, I'm not sure what what, what uh, network she works for now, but her dad was the team's leading rusher, Thomas Rooks. I wanted to get – I wanted to see if he could tell us something more about this story. So that's an interesting um, – factoid there he was kind of the main star in the um and the rushing attack jack trudeau was a sophomore and he was in the middle of that string of the 80s when the illinois really had a lot at quarterback in the 80s they had a guy named dave wilson who has the record that still stands to this day of 620 passing yards at ohio state in 1980 uh then came trudeau then came champagne tony eason uh, no, actually, no, Easton was in between Wilson and Trudeau. Then came our, our beloved Jeff George. Oh, God, Jeff George. And um, Illinois also had the greatest wide receiver in the history of the school, a guy named David Williams, who's a college football Hall of Famer. On defense, Don Thorpe was, uh, well, Don Thorpe was one of the team captains. He was the MVP. He was this massive defensive tackle who took home the Chicago Tribune Silver Football, the Big Ten MVP award. He was an All-American defensive end. Jim Juraga was an off... Uh, was it? He was the tackle, actually, that I was thinking of. He was the, an All-American. Defensive back Craig Swoop, he was an All-American. Just stacked all around. Mike White in his heyday. I the, This Rose Bowl is literally... I'm not making this up. This is literally the first sporting event. I can actually ever remember. It's the first sporting event I ever watched on television because the eldest of my three sisters attended this game. It was her freshman year. And also senior year, she actually got a ride home on the motorcycle of Jeff George from a party. Oh, wow. So so what a gentleman uh, Jeff George was to drive her home from a party at like as dawn was breaking or whatever it was. So the legend goes. Well, I'm surprised that he could go further than 10 yards. But anyway, <laughs> well, I don't know if he made a pass at her. I just know that if he did throw a pass, it was probably incomplete. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, looking at the schedule here, it's not like it's not like. Illinois beat a bunch of scrubs either. Their first Big Ten win of the year was at number 19, Michigan State, uh, 20-10. They beat number four, Iowa, 33-0 in Champaign in uh, the second Big Ten game. They also won at home over number six, Ohio State, to win the vaunted Illibuck Trophy, and then later beat number eight, Michigan. So they had three wins over top ten teams. This was this was a legit Illinois team. 
Yeah, I would have to say it's probably. I think they would kick the 2001 team's butt. I think. Um, I know they could handle the 2007 Rose Bowl team. I mean, this this was such a monumental year for the school and the program that Illinois did not beat Michigan at home again until 2009. Wow. And then you you mentioned they play UCLA in the Rose Bowl. Uh, UCLA, as you said, come came in at six four and one. Weird, weird year for the Pac-10 that year. Uh, there were a total of three ties throughout the conference. Uh, you have UCLA tied Arizona State in their first conference game of the year, and then they actually lost all three non-conference games. They lose to Georgia 19-8. They lose to number one Nebraska 42-10, and they lose to the Fighting Mormons of BYU 37-35. But after the tie, they went on a hell of a run. They beat Stanford. They beat Washington State. They beat Cal. They beat Washington, Oregon. They end up losing to Arizona 27-24. But uh, everyone else in the Pac-12 just kind of – it was a pretty mediocre year. Washington went 5-2. and two. Washington State was the third-place team at 5-3. and three, And they ended up being the best team out of a pretty mediocre conference. So, you know – Illinois was proud. I don't know what the betting lines were, but I'm guessing that Illinois was uh, favored by quite a lot over Rick Neuheisel, uh, later coach at, I believe, Washington. Now he's the head coach of the Arizona Hotshots, which I did not know the Arizona Hotshots were a team. Good to know. <laughs> I, thought the, I thought he was still in the broadcast game. Well, apparently the Arizona Hotshots are a new team in the Alliance of American Football, which will begin playing in 2019. Oh, boy. Now I see what a get this was when I got to interview New Heisel about this. There, It's an eight-team league that begins this, this... Oh, my God. They got Steve Spurrier to be a coach in this league? Well, I'll be damned. They got Mike Singletary, Dennis Erickson, Mike Riley. Wow. Actually, that's really impressive. Yeah, I mean, they got some... Brad Childress is in here, too. Wow, interesting. <laughs> there's a, yeah, if there's, if there's a local team, I'll go. The nearest team would probably be the Memphis Express. I did not... I learned something today. <laughs> well, I'm glad you told me about the, about the Pac-10 side, because that always confused me. Yeah, and it, it, it looks like it wasn't like the Big Ten that where it was not a true round-robin. Uh because they only had the eight-game schedule, and it looks like they missed. Looks like they did not play Oregon State, but Oregon State was two eight and one that year, so it uh, doesn't seem like they would have been tripped up by the Beavers. But you never know. Well, shall we dive into the uh, holiday season and the postseason part of our story now? Oh yes. Uh, speaking of beavers, let's talk about the uh, alleged trip that may or may not have happened to the Playboy Mansion. I have a feeling that's going to get edited out. <laughs> Dynamite segue, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the first season of South Park that um, <laughs> the football announcer for that. Oh, my. Oh, boy. I mean, yeah, we haven't even started the rivaled stuff yet. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, we have the holiday season, and as usual, the team from the Midwest enjoys Southern California. It's a wonderful trip out there. If you ever get a chance to go to a Rose Bowl, take three, four, five days and go. Uh, I was lucky enough to be able to go in 2001 when Purdue went, and it was 
even though Purdue lost the game by 10 points, it was a trip of a lifetime and just an amazing thing to go to. And even though the Rose Bowl is not your guaranteed Big Ten Pac-12 matchup anymore, it still has that legacy and that tradition. And it's really fun to go and is still the goal for a lot of these smaller Big Ten programs that don't get to go every year, like an Ohio State or a Michigan. Right. I went to one uh, as a media member. I went to one as a fan. And both are just life-changing. I mean, made memories that lasted a lifetime. You know, as a Midwest kid, you you see it on New Year's Day on TV. You see the sunset and, you know, it's negative 10 where you are and it's 75 out there. And you see the palm trees and the mountains and it just looks like heaven on earth. It, it really is. And it's it's an atmosphere that you just, it has to be... You see it on TV, but once you attend it, you just you do never forget it. It's amazing to see. The conclusiveness of this story of this podcast, we're going to leave that up to you, the listener. We're going to let you decide whether this is true or not, because either this is the worst kept secret. It, oh, that's right. Juan gets to live 10 minutes from the Rose Bowl. We were just... Yeah, Juan, Juan is our recording engineer for these. He usually doesn't chime in on the Let's Get Weird podcast. But he just had to t- chime in here. He's like, I get to live 10 minutes from the Rose Bowl. So at least somebody gets to go see it this year. Well, I, I painted the Rose Bowl in an art class this summer. Does that count? <laughs> I got to see it last year and do a stand-up video there. So it was awesome. <laughs> All right. So either either this is the worst kept secret because everybody knows this. Or it's just the biggest lie ever. But what we do know is that Half himself was asked point blank, and he did not confirm nor deny this story. Um, I, I wrote this up with all the research I did in the summer of 2015. It was just a very boring preseason, and Illinois looked pretty blah. Uh, they got slightly more interesting when they fired Tim Beckman that summer, and then Cuba took over, but not that interesting. So I wrote this up, and it's been out there. So if anybody has any issue... With anything we're going to say in the podcast tonight, we're just going to pretty much say the same thing that I wrote in this story, and no no one has ever had an issue with it. Um, on the day that Hugh Hefner passed away, last September, Reddit College Football picked it up and did a post. So, I mean, this has been out there for a while now. It's gotten ten thousands of views, maybe tens of thousands. I, I have never received an angry letter or an angry phone call from anybody. So let's just go right in ahead with this. Why did Illinois get destroyed by UCLA 45-9 to in that Rose Bowl when they were so much the better team, when they were heavily favored? Why do you think that is, Travis? Uh, who knows? Uh, I'm going to take a wild guess and say uh, that Hugh Hefner the owner of the Playboy Mansion and Bon Vivant, man about town, happened to be an Illinois alumnus. And uh, he started his, uh, many of his ideas for the Playboy Bunnies came from the Bunny Lounge there in Shambana, Illinois. And I'm betting he may have possibly invited the championship team from his beloved alma mater to come visit the mansion. Yes, this was the first time in 20 years that the University of Illinois was playing in the Rose Bowl. And Hugh Hefner was class of 49. He was a psychology major. Local guy, grew up on the north side of Chicago. 
went to Steinmetz College Prep. He went to Sayre Elementary School. Went down to the University of Illinois. So obviously all the local kids and the team, a lot of connect, a lot of connection to the school and the team. And some of his first ideas for Playboy came during his time at the Daily Illini. And the rumor is that they were there on New Year's Eve partying, doing, well, whatever you can imagine they did or possibly did at the Playboy Mansion on New Year's Eve, as that has been claimed here and there. I cannot imagine that a bunch of athletic, attractive young men on New Year's Eve would do anything of any ill repute with attractive young women in skimpy clothing. And the, the other factor of this is, if it was on New Year's Eve, this was one of those years that the Rose Bowl was on January 2nd, uh, as opposed to January 1st, because January 1st fell on a Sunday. So that, that makes the party possibly that much more legendary if it was a two-day hangover as opposed to a one-day hangover. Right. I actually think that makes the story more believable and more credible because if you're on the team, you if it's new if if the game's on New Year's Day, there's probably a curfew being enforced at the team hotel. There's you know, you have a different mindset. But if it when you know it's January second, you know that I mean certain controlled substances can just be out of your system by then and you can recover from them. And or if you're perhaps in this case they were just up really, really late, and there was a lot of controlled substances, and <laughs> they just didn't recover. So, I've heard that Tim Brewster, the former Minnesota coach, he was a tight end on that team. He was asked about this, but I, I guess he really didn't give that much of a meaningful answer. I, I searched high and low to find it, and I could not find Tim Brewster's response on it. But let's look at what we did find. Back in 2007, Illinois went back to the Rose Bowl, and a lot of the people that covered the team, both in Champana and in Chicago or in central Illinois, made a lot of tongue-in-cheek references to the supposed Playboy Mansion party. Uh, Mark Tupper, in his Decatur Herald Review column on December 3rd, 2007, the, quote, experts expect the Illini to show up late for the game, after a New Year's Eve blowout at the Playboy Mansion, a party hosted by University of Illinois alum Hugh Hefner. Mike Downey, in his Chicago Tribune op-ed on December 30th, 2007, so right before, New Year's, right before New Year's Eve, would have been the anniversary of it, asked Hef about it directly. The bathrobed swinger would neither confirm nor deny this story. As for the greatest Illini party thrower of them all, Hef says he has no specific memories of the 1984 party. However, and this is the quote from, from Hefner, my memories are kind of ongoing. I always keep an eye on what the Illini are doing, and I'm extremely excited about what they've done this year. And, and let's not forget that that was the Illinois team that kind of got into the Rose Bowl mostly as a uh, thank you to the Big Ten because Ohio State was the Big Ten champ, but they had beaten Ohio State in the shoe behind the greatest game ever from Juice Williams, and they technically were eligible for a BCS Bowl, and I think the the uh, Rose Bowl was like, well, we really do want this Big Ten, Pac-10 matchup to continue. So they were kind of picked out of nowhere to the surprise of many people to end up playing uh, the USC Trojans that year, too. Yeah, a three-loss team in a BCS Bowl. 
That and then wasn't a conference champ. That was just bizarre. I mean, and I think much of it, but that's also a testament to how strange the 2007 season was. And they ended up, like I said, they beat a seemingly unbeatable Ohio State team in Columbus. Uh, it was one of the most shocking results I remember seeing that year. Uh, but they had lost to Iowa. They had lost to Michigan. They'd lost to Missouri. And, you know, it was just kind of a surprise they were even as good as they were and probably should have gone to a decent uh, a decent New Year's Day Bowl. But the Rose Bowl was definitely a, they were punching above their weight there. Yeah, that was like a Citrus Bowl team. I mean, they had like no passing attack and their defense was good, not great. It was kind of opportunistic. But um, speaking of, of opportunistic, uh Let's get to the case of uh, good old Jack Trudeau. Oh, yes. Jack Trudeau, former Colts co- uh, quarterback, uh, still lives around these parts here in Indianapolis, lives in the Indy area up in Zionsville, uh, somewhat of a local celebrity, and he was the quarterback that wouldn't die for the Indianapolis Colts as he kept taking over the starting job from Jeff George every now and then. What a what an amazing era of Colts football to have Jack Trudeau and Jeff George, the Illini one and two on your quarterback depth chart. Oh yes, and they liked they liked each other so well at the time too. So getting back to Trudeau, there's a um there's a photo I found from the Chicago Sun Times dated December twenty second, nineteen eighty three. And you'll see a photo on uh, and like I said, I do hope when you post this um, that you link my, my two stories here because you're definitely going to want to put this photo. The listeners are going to want to see this. It's a peer, It's a clear picture of Trudeau where he's got a centerfold kissing each. There's two centerfolds and each one is kissing one of his cheeks and he's got his arm around both. To which, um, and this was a, a column entitled, Illinois Squad Earns Romp Down Bunny Trail. <laughs> Oh, it gets better. Ah, <laughs> uh, the uh, that's so where you could write a great headline. So yeah, so this is um this is the confirmed visit to the Playboy Mansion. This is when they got the tour. This is the documented one that the media was at nine days before the alleged or rumored supposed visit. Here's here's a clip. I've seen your issue," said backup quarterback Ken Cruz to one of the playmates. My next cover comes out next month, Miss January 1982 told a player. Oh, my subscription ran out, mourned the Illini football player. Well, I'm in easy money, too, she said. Rodney Dangerfield trips over a chair while he's looking at me. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize that we were going to bring Rodney Dangerfield into this. That's amazing. (laughs) Well, it is the (laughs) mid-80s. How would you like to earn $14 the hard way? Uh, Miss April 1984, flushed with anticipation over her imminent date with Centerful Glory, was also in attendance, and soon the evening became what is known in the trade as a photo opportunity. (laughs) One by one, the players moved back and forth between January, April, and the assorted bunnies who had been brought in for the occasion raising serious doubts about the sexist proposition that if you've seen two, you've seen them all. 
That's, that's almost up there with the quote from the very first Iron Man movie of the, is it true that you got, uh, we're, went 12 for 12 with last year's Maxim cover models? Yes and no. April and I had a schedule conflict, but December was twins. Jack Trudeau, the starting Illinois quarterback, was one of the first players to discover that he had two arms. Within moments, Miss April was on his left, while Miss January was held firmly on his right. Trudeau's goal line offense was impeccable. He didn't fumble either one. It wasn't long before enough cameras were in use, so the risk of temporary blindness was a distinct possibility. Many of these belong to the players, and it is even possible that some of the con- of the cameras even contained film. <laughs> oh, we are going to get so sued by the uh, National Organization of Women for this episode. I mean, this this is just a different time. This, this is a different time. You could not do a story like this today. It's it's amazing. I love how he references. He says the he poses the idea that it's sexist, and that's like the least sexist part of this blurb. And everything that follows it is completely sexist. <laughs> this might be sexist, but we're just since we've already broken the seal there, we're just going to plow ahead with it. This is like you know how there are those people out there that take like John Hughes movies and analyze them about like what wouldn't fly today and like decrive him for it. Like that's exactly like this. There's so wow. Oh my goodness. That is just, that is just amazing. And that that could not happen these days. (laughs) So, so what is your honest opinion? Did this trip happen to the playboy mansion or not? I'm just going to leave it with the words of uh, Rick Neuheisel because this was another interview that I put in a lot of effort to uh, to track down and get in. I wanted to locate this soundbite and get his take on it. This was from a 2015 media conference called to preview the college football season. Here's what here is. This is verbatim what I said. Over the years, there have been some urban legends and conspiracy theories as to why Illinois lost the 1984 Rose Bowl as they were so heavily favored. Did you see anything in your opponent that seemed off from what you had already known about that team and had studied on film? Were they just off that day? And his answer is, they were supposed to beat us. They were the first team to ever go through the Big Ten schedule back when there were only nine teams. But but they whipped them all, and they were hoping for and they were hoping for a more marquee opponent than UCLA. We were six four and one. They were hoping for a chance to impress pollsters and get a chance at the national championship. And if anything, that kind of gave us a little bit of a chip on our shoulder. And I think our coaching staff did a tremendous job in scouting. They had a freshman corner by the name of Keith Taylor that we were going to take some shots at, and we had some success in doing that. They had a free safety by the name of Craig Swoop who would give some tells like a poker player tips his cards, and we were able to do some audibling based on where he lined up. And it turned out to be a great offensive day. And as is the, and is the case with a lot of bowl games, once it gets going the other way and you fall deeply behind, there's a sense of despair. Where you might kind of claw your way back in other games, it kind of becomes an avalanche. Now here comes the best part, and this is why we're talking about this interview. Well, he actually did say a lot of interesting things there, some good insights too, but this is the best part. I'd love to tell you it's because they got invited to the Playboy Mansion by Hugh Hefner, a big U of I alum, invited their team, and we were just a mile and a half away with our campus, and we never got the invite. I'd love to tell you that was the reason, but I don't think it had it had, had much to do with it. 
Yeah, it's not like it was a close game that they lost at all. No, it was uh, it was a pretty bad uh, it was a pretty bad beatdown, and Illinois rushed for zero yards and only had two hundred and five yards of offense with four interceptions. That's ridiculous. You know, it is true that in bowl games, a lot of times it is about there is one team that treats it like an exhibition, and there's one team that treats it like the Super Bowl, and you just don't know how it's going to go, but I just thought it was really funny that New Heisel, I did not bring up the Playboy Mansion party. He did. <laughs> well, th- there's a couple of other interesting tidbits from this game that I just found. Uh, the first is that during the game itself, some students from Caltech were able to install a computer that could remotely access the scoreboard and they were able to change the teams from UCLA and Illinois to Caltech against MIT. (laughs) And it says that one of the pranks perpetrators received approval from from his Caltech professor for the prank and earned him credit for the course Experimental Projects in Electric Circuits. That is so awesome. This is... (laughs) I love how we've, like, covered every 80s movie. Now we're into Revenge of the Nerds after we've already done Porky's. <laughs> and uh, we, it was also the first time ever that an unranked team beat a top-five team in a bowl game. Uh, the, it has only happened one other time since when Purdue beat number 4 Kansas State in the 1998 Alamo Bowl 15 yeah. years later. And didn't it stand as the most lopsided Rose Bowl until 2007 when Illinois got whomped again in the Rose Bowl? And that was the most lopsided until the Jameis Winston, uh, Florida State, Oregon Rose Bowl, where where Kirk Herbstreet made the famous Florida State has shut has shut down operations in like in the third quarter. You never hear an announcer say like a team has given up that early, but he did. I, I think I think those are records we need to double check on. Uh I'm not sure because I know uh there's been there's been a couple of Rose Bowls that were pretty uh pretty lopsided and everything. I know one that comes to mind is the two thousand two Rose Bowl when Miami beat the brakes off of Nebraska, but they kinda I know they kind of pulled up in that one and didn't really do a whole lot in the second half. They ended up winning 37 to 14, whereas this one was 45 to nine. Um, but as far as just absolute beatdowns, uh, you do have 49 17 by USC over Illinois, as you mentioned in 2008, and then uh, 59 to 20 with uh, Oregon over Florida State in 2015. So you might be right on that one in that it was one of the more lopsided ones ever. So what do you think? Did it happen? Did it not happen? I don't want to live in a world where it didn't happen. I mean, this is... (laughs) This is right up there with the urban legend of Dikembe Mutombo at Georgetown walking into a bar and saying, who wants to sex Mutombo? (laughs) I mean, it's... You're telling me that a bunch of... You're with me, Leather, like that story. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't want to live in a world where this didn't happen. Of course it happened. It had to have happened. And I don't even care if it did have an effect on the game or not. I want it to have happened, because why not? It's what I would have done in the mid-80s had I been a uh, college football player with access to the Rose Bowl. 
or to the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> well, you know, it is true. They they weren't going to win a national title. They had already won the Big Ten title. I mean, what were you going to do? It was, in the end, kind of a glorified exhibition game. I mean, it, it sounds very similar to that Purdue-Kansas State game where Kansas State was denied a chance of going to the original BCS. They didn't even get one of the Constellation BCS Bowls, and they were completely and utterly disinterested. And if it wasn't for two just horrific punt snaps that handed Kansas State 13 points, it wouldn't have been as close as it was. So I, I could definitely empathize with Illinois there in the disinterest and there's just not a lot to play for, but it's still the Rose Bowl. You got to you got to bring it at least a little bit. Come on, guys. Yeah, I mean, you got to play with pride, but I guess if they looked at that UCLA team and were like, we can handle those guys. As, as a fun fact, that was that UCLA team to date is the last unranked team to play in the Rose Bowl. Wow. Everybody else has been at least in, it looks like about the top 20, I would say. Most, oh wait, I was wrong, I was wrong. The, uh, most the only other unranked team to play in a Rose Bowl in that time was 2002 Wisconsin, who came into the Rose Bowl with a record of eight and five and finished third place in the Big Ten Leaders Division. But because Penn State and Ohio State were bowl ineligible, they got to the Big Ten title game. They boat raced Nebraska 70 to 31 and they stole the Big Ten title. And got the automatic bid to go to Pasadena. Oh, yeah. That was just total chaos. I remember that. Because that was the year Purdue, had they beaten Wisconsin at home, Purdue would have won the Big Ten Leaders Division. (laughs) Or at least been the representative in the Big Ten Leaders Division. Excuse me. Do do we want to get into um, what happened to Jack Trudeau later in life? Uh, Well, Jack Trudeau, as we mentioned earlier, he became the coach of the Indianapolis Colts. And often battled for playing time. Uh, he first started splitting time with one of the greatest quarterback names that the Colts ever had, Gary Hogaboom. Just a fantastic name right there. And uh, he led the Colts to their first playoff appearance in the city of Indianapolis in 1987, which was the strike year. And then he went back and forth with Jeff George as the starting quarterback with the Colts. Uh, mostly because uh, the Colts, it took them three or four years to realize that Jeff George sucks ass at actually playing the game of football. <laughs> and Trudeau, Trudeau did fairly well, and he would always come in and outperform Jeff George, but Jeff George being the number one overall pick, and the uh, local guy, he got every second, third, fourth, and fifth chance in there. But we also have to say the Colts were not good at this period. <laughs> right. This is the RCA Dome era. This is oh, the- yeah. So they may have gone to the playoffs in 1987, but that was about the only time they were even remotely close to the playoffs in that whole era. And they ended up, the decision to get Jeff George was just a disastrous one from beginning to end. But uh, after Trudeau's playing games were done, he stayed local and uh, he has been on the radio here. He has had some morning radio shows on WNDE in Indianapolis, but he's also run afoul of the local law enforcement where he had he got arrested for contributing to delinquency of a minor when he hosted a high school graduation party for his daughter. 
Yes, he was not arrested, but was breathalyzed. Along, no, his daughter was not arrested, but was breathalyzed along with her three younger brothers. Trudeau was offered a plea agreement in which he accepted responsibility for the party. That because he, you always want to be the adult in charge of a high school party that's going to have booze. <laughs> yes, the, the proverbial adult in the room. <laughs> um, even if the room is outside. <laughs> and then later on, uh, as recently as three years ago, he got a his second DUI with allegations, uh, got attacked on some intimidating a police officer by threatening to kill him. So yes. that's uh, quite impressive after blowing a... Point three one. That's yes. just a heroic intake right there. That is just unbelievable. This is the one where he defecated on himself. Um, <laughs> I had forgotten about that part. Right. I'll read the part that we can read because um, I'm looking at the police reports and the excerpts, and there's one part where I could read this, but I just the bleeping would go on and on. I mean, it's more bleeps than it is words. But this is the one where, yeah, where he says he was going to, he was threatened to kill the officer. Um, he's like, if you don't take me out of these handcuffs in two seconds, I'm going to f-ing kill you. Um, f- you, I'm going to f-ing kill you. You're an f-er. When Officer Haston, Haston, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, escorted Trudeau from the vehicle, he noticed a strong smell of fecal matter and realized Trudeau had a brown stain on the back of his shorts. Mr. Trudeau had defecated himself in my vehicle during transport, the officer wrote. The officers helped Trudeau remove his soiled clothing and change into hospital scrubs. Oh, that's just a, uh, that's a job you don't want. I mean, helping a man that has crapped himself remove his soiled clothing. I've had some pretty bad jobs in my life, but I, no, I wouldn't be doing that one. I'm sorry. (laughs) Just think of where he was on December 22nd, 1983 with a Playboy Playmate on each arm. And here he is in July 2015. You know, that's life. That's what they... Getting arrested in Zionsville, Indiana, which... Knowing Zionsville, I actually work pretty close to Zionsville right now. I'm there quite a bit working for their newspaper and everything. And uh, I'm going to say that the crime spree that he went on by defecating in the back of a cop car was about the most, is one of the biggest crimes that's ever happened in Zionsville, aside from uh, Subway Jared getting arrested there. Oh, yes. I've I've heard all the the Jared stories. I've heard about his life on... um... Broad Ripple Avenue, <laughs> Landshark, where he would sit there with his stack of hundreds, supposedly, and try to lure people after he got paid. And Oh, wow. And his subway that he went to because he would meet people that he sold his porn to at Subway because he lived upstairs from it. And that's oh, why he did all the time. But well, here's an interesting point. Is- I just found this on Jack Trudeau's Wikipedia. Trudeau was involved in a controversial exchange in August 2011 with then first year Indiana Hoosiers football coach Kevin Wilson. During the interview, Wilson responded to Trudeau's mocking of Indiana's football team by pointing out the former quarterback's criminal history. Yes, because he had his first DUI in 1990 when he was still quarterbacking the Colts. So. Um, I'm going to say that this was probably not the best choice to be the responsible adult in the room for, again, a high school party involving alcohol. As a Purdue fan, whose side are you taking in Kevin Wilson versus Jack Trudeau? Well, I, I don't think that there's any winners there. On the one hand, you have a coach that 
was uh, fired pretty much for abusing his players. On the other, you have an infamous drunk that crapped himself in the back of a police car. I'm afraid that there's no winners there. <laughs> I do hope the listeners to this podcast were the winners tonight. <laughs> And with that, I think that we have gotten quite weird enough with this podcast. Uh, it's been fun. Uh, we've discovered a lot of fun little things. We've gone down the rabbit hole with Jack Trudeau there. Uh, but uh, I, I just don't uh, don't really have anything else. Do you have any other, other things you want to add here? I just would like to add that <clears throat> it, it's up to you, the listener, to decide whether, this, whether the, the party habit or not. But I like Travis believe it probably did. And I just want to uh, reiterate that the passage I read earlier from the Chicago Sun times was, was prose written by Ron Rappaport. So the sexist language that was not us, that was the writer of the Chicago Sun times. And if you're going to judge him, remember you're judging a man by the standards that were in place in 1983. Well, we would never judge or hold anybody to standards of anything that they did in 1983 because you can't possibly hold anyone accountable for anything that they did in 1983, can you? No, of course not. I mean, that would never come up today. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get all judgy here. I don't know if he ever, if his microphone was on there, but Juan just gave us the uh, proverbial flashlight of, all right, Quit it. Wrap it up. <laughs> so uh, what do we have next for the Let's Get Weird podcast? Uh, we've got September 1918, uh, the World Series for the Boston Red Sox during World War One, which was played at Comiskey Park, in which um, literally sheep were used to cut the grass. And a bomb went off downtown uh, on, during the morning of Game 2, and yet... That had zero effect on the game being played. Um, and that's just a little bit. There's a lot more to that with the war and the plague and everything going through Boston. So we'll touch on that. Uh, we also have, um, we've got a lot of great ideas coming up. Like that uh, forwarded you, um, that Scott Rank and uh, the, the oil wrestling episode. Oh, yes. Uh, that will be interesting. Yeah. Uh, not quite sure how we're going to handle that one, but that could be very, very fun. So I guess we'll kind of keep the teasers to a minimum tonight. Oh, yes, definitely. But we've got some good ones. Uh, we just thought this one would be good for the Purdue Cannon this week with Purdue and Illinois facing off against each other. And Purdue actually has a chance to tie the all-time series with the Illini for the first time since 1906, I believe. Yeah, you know, it should be interesting. It's homecoming weekend at Illinois. Um, all my family members who I gave a shout-out to in this podcast, they will be in attendance. They will be in the stands. Um, Illinois has a running game this year. They don't really have much else, but they do have that. So, yeah, it, it, I will say that the Illini have not been as bad as I thought they were going to be. And uh, I, I say that as a compliment. They're, I was really expecting them to finish dead last in the Big Ten and maybe not even win a game, but they've already got one, and they still have to play Nebraska. And if they're able to get past Purdue, they can probably even think bowl game if uh, a couple other things break for them. Uh, I don't know about bowl game, but you could claim progress, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. They've got a good opportunistic defense. The defense itself is not very good, but they force a lot of turnovers. So uh, that could really – that might – they might steal a game here or two with that. 
Oh, absolutely. And it, you still got Minnesota. You still got Northwestern, who's up and down. You still got Nebraska on the schedule. I mean, Maryland. there's three other games that are possible. Maryland, four. So, that you know, that's four games that they at least should have a puncher's chance in. Absolutely. So that that should wrap things up this week for the Let's Get Reared Sports Podcast. And as always, we thank you for listening. Uh, the Hammer and Ales podcast should return this weekend, probably Sunday night. After We will be recording that on Monday after the Purdue-Illinois game as we'll get ready to talk about Purdue-Ohio State for the following week. So uh, we thank you all for listening. We thank you for reading the Sports Bank. We thank you for reading hammerandrails.com. So for... Paul and for Juan, our engineer, this is T Mill saying thanks for listening and boiler up. You are looking live at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. The struggle, the anticipation, the drama, and the dreams have all come down to the granddaddy of them all. It's the Rose Bowl game.